Chapter Two of Kindness by Father Faber. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two Kind Thoughts. Everywhere in creation there is a charm, the fountain of which is invisible. In the natural, the moral, and the spiritual world, it is the same. We are constantly referring it to causes which are only effects faith alone reveals to us its true origin god is behind everything his sweetness transpires through the thick shades which hide him it comes to the surface and with gentle mastery overwhelms the whole world the sweetness of the hidden god is the delight of the life it is the pleasantness of nature and the consolation which is omnipresent in all suffering we touch him we lean on him we feel him we see him always and everywhere yet he makes himself so natural to us that we almost overlook him indeed if it were not for faith we should overlook him altogether his presence is like light when we do not see the face of the sun it is like light on the stony folds of the mountain top coming through rents in the waving clouds or in the close forest where the wind weaves and unweaves the canopy of foliage or like the silver arrows of underwater light in the deep blue sea with colored stones and bright weeds glancing there still god does not shine equally through all things some things are more transparent other things more opaque some have a greater capacity for disclosing god than others in the moral world with which alone we are concerned at present kind thoughts have a special power to let in upon us the light of the hidden god the thoughts of men are a world by themselves vast and populous each man's thoughts are a world to himself there is an astonishing breath in the thoughts of even the most narrow-minded man thus we all of us have an interior world to govern and he is the only real king who governs it effectually there is no doubt that we are very much influenced by external things and that our natural dispositions are in no slight degree dependent upon education nevertheless our character is formed within it is manufactured in the world of our thoughts and there we must go to influence it he who is master there is master everywhere he whose energy covers his thoughts covers the whole extent of self he has himself under his own control if he has learned to control his thoughts the fountains of words and actions have their untrodden springs in the caverns of the world of thought he who can command the fountains is master of the city the power of suffering is the grandest merchandise of life and it also is manufactured in the world of thought the union of grace and nature is the significance of our whole life it is there precisely in that union that the secret of our vocation resides the shape of our work and the character of our holiness 
are regulated from the point different in different men at which nature and grace are united the knowledge of this point brings with it not only the understanding of our past but a sufficiently clear vision of our future to say nothing of its being the broad sunshine of the present but the union of nature and grace is for the most part effected in the world of thought but i will go even further than this and will venture to contradict a common opinion it seems to me that our thoughts are a more true measure of ourselves than our actions are they are not under the control of human respect it is not easy for them to be ashamed of themselves they have no witnesses but god they are not bound to keep within certain limits or observe certain proprieties religious motives alone can claim jurisdiction over them the struggle which so often ensues within us before we can bring ourselves to do our duty goes on entirely within our thoughts it is our own secret and men cannot put us to the blush because of it the contradiction which too often exists between our outward actions and our inward intentions is only to be detected in the realm of our thoughts whither none but god can penetrate except by guesses which are not the less offences against charity because they happen to be correct in like manner as an impulse will sometimes show more of our real character than what we do after deliberation our first thoughts will often reveal to us faults of disposition which outward restraints will hinder from issuing in action actions have their external hindrances while our thoughts better disclose to us our possibilities of good and evil of course there is a most true sense in which the conscientious effort to cure a fault is a better indication of our character than the fault we have not yet succeeded in curing nevertheless we may die at any moment and when we die we die as we are thus our thoughts tell us better than our actions can do what we shall be like the moment after death lastly it is in the world of thought that we most often meet with god walking as in the shades of ancient eden it is there we hear his whispers it is there we perceive the fragrance of his recent presence it is thence that the first vibrations of grace proceed now if our thoughts be of this importance and also if kindness be of the importance which was assigned to it in the last conference it follows that kind thoughts must be of immense consequence if a man habitually has kind thoughts of others and that on supernatural motives he is not far from being a saint such a man's thoughts are not kind intermittently or on impulse or at haphazard his first thoughts are kind and he does not repent of them although they often bring suffering and disgust in their train all his thoughts are kind and he does not checker them with unkindly ones 
even when sudden passions or vehement excitements have thrown them into commotion they settle down into a kindly humour and cannot settle otherwise these men are rare kind thoughts are rarer than either kind words or kind deeds they imply a great deal of thinking about others this in itself is rare but they imply also a great deal of thinking about others without the thoughts being criticisms this is rarer still active-minded men are naturally the most given to criticize and they are also the men whose thoughts are generally the most exuberant such men therefore must make kind thoughts a defence against self by sweetening the fountain of their thoughts they will destroy the bitterness of their judgments but kind thoughts also imply a contract with god and a divine ideal in our minds their origin cannot be anything short of divine like the love of beauty they can spring from no baser source they are not dictated by self-interest nor stimulated by passion they have nothing in them which is insidious and they are almost always the preludes to some sacrifice of self it must be from god's touch that such waters spring they only live in the clammy mists of earth because they breathe the fresh air of heaven they are the scent with which the creature is penetrated through the indwelling of the creator they imply also the reverse of a superficial view of things nothing deepens the mind so much as a habit of charity a man's surfaces are always worse than his real depths there may be exceptions to this rule but i believe them to be very rare self is the only person who does not improve on acquaintance our deepest views of life are doubtless very shallow ones for how little do we know of what god intends to do with his own world we know something about his glory and our own salvation but how the last becomes the first in the face of so much evil neither theologian nor philosopher has ever been able adequately to explain but so much we are warranted in saying that charity is the deepest view of life and nearest to god's view and therefore also not merely the truest view but the only view that is true at all kind thoughts then are in the creature what his science is to the creator they embody the deepest purest grandest truth to which we untruthful creatures can attain about others or ourselves why are some men so forward to praise others is it not that it is their fashion of investing themselves with importance but why are most men so reluctant to praise others it is because they have such an inordinate opinion of themselves now kind thoughts for the most part imply a low opinion of self they are an inward praise of others and because inward therefore genuine no one who has a high opinion of himself finds his merits acknowledged according to his own estimate of them his reputation therefore cannot take care of itself he must push it 
and a man who is pushing anything in the world is always unamiable because he is obliged to stand so much on the defensive a pugnacious man is far less disagreeable than a defensive man every man who is habitually holding out for his rights makes himself the equal of his inferiors even if he be a king and he must take the consequences which are far from pleasant but the kind-thoughted man has no rights to defend no self-importance to push he thinks meanly of himself and with so much honesty that he thinks thus of himself with tranquillity he finds others pleasanter to deal with than self and others find him so pleasant to deal with that love follows him wherever he goes a love which is the more faithful to him because he makes so few pretenses to be loved last of all kind thoughts imply also supernatural principles for inward kindness can be consistent on no others kindness is the occupation of our whole nature by the atmosphere and spirit of heaven this is no inconsiderable affair nature cannot do the work itself nor can it do it with ordinary succors were there ever any consistently kind heathens if so they are in heaven now for they must have been under the dominion of grace on earth we must not confound kindness and mere good humour good humour is no on such an unkindly earth as this it will be better not to say a disparaging word even of mere good humour would that there were more even of that in the world i suspect angels cluster round a good-humoured man as the gnats cluster round the trees they like but there is one class of kind thoughts which must be dwelt upon apart i allude to kind interpretations the habit of not judging others is one which it is very difficult to acquire and which is generally not acquired till late on in the spiritual life if men have ever indulged in judging others the mere sight of an action almost involuntarily suggests an internal commentary upon it it has become so natural to judge however little their own duties or responsibilities are connected with what they are judging that the actions of others present themselves to the mind as in the attitude of asking a verdict from it all our fellow-men who come within the reach of our knowledge and for the most retired of us the circle is a wide one are prisoners at the bar and if we are unjust ignorant capricious judges it must be granted to us that we are indefatigable ones now all this is simple ruin to our souls at any risk at the cost of life there must be an end of this or it will end in everlasting banishment from god the standard of the last judgment is absolute it is this the measure which we have meted to others our present humour in judging others reveals to us what our sentence would be if we died now are we content to abide that issue but as it is impossible all at once to stop judging 
and as it is also impossible to go on judging uncharitably we must pass through the intermediate stage of kind interpretations few men have passed beyond this to a habit of perfect charity which has blessedly stripped them of their judicial ermine and their deep-rooted judicial habits of mind we ought therefore to cultivate most sedulously the habit of kind interpretations men's actions are very difficult to judge their real character depends in a great measure on the motives which prompt them and those motives are invisible to us appearances are often against what we afterwards discover to have been deeds of virtue moreover a line of conduct is in its look at least very little like a logical process it is complicated with all manner of inconsistencies and often deformed by what is in reality a hidden consistency nobody can judge men but god and we can hardly obtain a higher or more reverent view of god than that which represents him to us as judging men with perfect knowledge unperplexed certainty and undisturbed compassion now kind interpretations are imitations of the merciful ingenuity of the creator finding excuses for his creatures it is almost a day of revelation to us when theology enables us to perceive that god is so merciful precisely because he is so wise and from this truth it is an easy inference that kindness is our best wisdom because it is an image of the wisdom of god this is the idea of kind interpretations and this is the use which we must make of them the habit of judging is so nearly incurable and its cure is such an almost interminable process that we must concentrate ourselves for a long while on keeping it in check and this check is to be found in kind interpretations we must come to esteem very lightly our sharp eye for evil on which perhaps we once prided ourselves as cleverness it has been to us a fountain of sarcasm and how seldom since adam was created has sarcasm fallen short of being a sin we must look at our talent for analysis of character as a dreadful possibility of huge uncharitableness we should have been much better without it from the first it is the hardest talent of all to manage because it is so difficult to make any glory for god out of it we are sure to continue to say clever things so long as we continue to indulge in this analysis and clever things are equally sure to be sharp and acid sight is a great blessing but there are times and places where it is far more blessed not to see it would be comparatively easy for us to be holy if only we could always see the character of our neighbours either in soft shade or with the kindly deceits of moonlight upon them of course we are not to grow blind to evil for thus we should speedily become unreal but we must grow to something higher and something truer than a quickness in detecting evil 
we must rise to something truer yes have we not always found in our past experience that on the whole our kind interpretations were truer than our harsh ones what mistakes have we not made in judging others but have they not almost always been on the side of harshness every day some phenomenon of this kind occurs we have seen a thing as clear as day it could have but one meaning we have already taken measures we have roused our righteous indignation all at once the whole matter is differently explained and that in some most simple way so simple that we are lost in astonishment that we should never have thought of it ourselves always distrust very plain cases says a legal writer things that were dark begin to give light what seemed opaque is perceived to be transparent things that everybody differed about as people in planting a tree can never agree what it wants to make it straight now everybody sees in the same light so natural and obvious has the explanation been nay things that it appeared impossible to explain are just those the explanation of which are the most simple how many times in life have we been wrong when we put a kind construction on the conduct of others we shall not need our fingers to count those mistakes upon moreover grace is really much more common than our querulousness is generally willing to allow we may suspect its operations in the worst men we meet with thus without any forced impossibility we may call in supernatural considerations in order to make our criticisms more ingenuous in their charity when we grow a little holier we shall summon also to our aid those supernatural motives in ourselves which by depressing our own ideas of ourselves elevate our generous belief in others but while common sense convinces us of the truth of kind interpretations common selfishness ought to open our eyes to their wisdom and their policy we must have passed through life unobservantly if we have never perceived that a man is very much himself what he thinks of others of course his own faults may be the cause of his unfavourable judgments of others but they are also and in a very marked way effects of those same judgments a man who was on a higher eminence before will soon by harsh judgments of others sink to the level of his own judgments when you hear a man attribute meanness to another you may be sure not only that the critic is an ill-natured man but that he has got a similar element of meanness in himself or is fast sinking to it a man is always capable himself of a sin which he thinks another is capable of or which he himself is capable of imputing to another even a well-founded suspicion more or less degrades a man his suspicion may be verified and he may escape some material harm by having cherished the suspicion but he is unavoidably the worse man in consequence of having entertained it this is a very serious consideration 
and rather a frightening argument in favour of charitable interpretations furthermore our hidden judgments of others are almost with a show of special and miraculous interference visited upon ourselves virtue grows in us under the influence of kindly judgments as if they were its nutriment but in the case of harsh judgments we find we often fall into the sin of which we have judged another guilty although it is not perhaps a sin at all common to ourselves or if matters do not go so far as this we find ourselves suddenly overwhelmed with a tempest of unusual temptations and on reflection conscience is ready to remind us that the sin to which we are thus violently and unexpectedly tempted is one which we have of late been uncharitably attributing to others sometimes also we are ourselves falsely accused and widely believed to be guilty of some fault of which we are quite innocent but it is a fault of which we have recently in our mind at least accused another moreover the truth or falsehood of our judgments seem to have very little to do with the matter the truth of them does not protect us from their unpleasant consequences just as the truth of a libel is no sufficient defence of it it is the uncharitableness of the judgment or the judging at all to which this self-avenging power is fastened it works itself out like a law quietly but infallibly is not this matter for very serious reflection but in conclusion what does all this doctrine of kind interpretations amount to to nothing less in the case of most of us than living a new life in a new world we may imagine life in another planet with whose physical laws we may happen to have a sufficient acquaintance but it would hardly differ more in a physical way from our earthly life than our moral life would differ from what it is at present if we were habitually to put a kind interpretation on all we saw and heard and habitually had kind thoughts of every one of whom we thought at all it would not merely put a new face on life it would put a new depth to it we should come as near as possible to becoming another kind of creatures look what an amount of bitterness we have about us what is to become of us it plainly cannot be taken into heaven where must it be left behind we clearly cannot put it off by the mere fact of dying as we can put off thereby a rheumatic limb or wasted lungs or diseased blood it will surely be a long and painful process in the heats of purgatory but we may be happy if mercy so abound upon us that the weight of our bitterness shall not sink us deeper into the fire into that depth from which no one ever rises to the surface more but when we reach heaven in what state shall we be certainly one very important feature of it will be the absence of all bitterness and criticism and the way in which our expanded minds will be possessed with thoughts of the most tender and overflowing kindness 
thus by cultivating kind thoughts we are in a very special way rehearsing for heaven but more than this we are effectually earning heaven for by god's grace we are imitating in our own minds that which in the divine mind we rest all our hopes on merciful allowances ingeniously favourable interpretations thoughts of unmingled kindness and all the inventions and tolerations of a supreme compassion the practice of kind thoughts also tells most decisively on our spiritual life it leads to great self-denial about our talents and influence criticism is an element in our reputation and an item in our influence we partly attract persons to us by it we partly push principles by means of it the practice of kind thoughts commits us to the surrenderings of all this it makes us again and again in life sacrifice successes at the moment they are within our reach our conduct becomes a perpetual voluntary forfeiture of little triumphs the necessary result of which is a hidden life he who has ever struggled with a proud heart and a bitter temper will perceive at once what innumerable and vast processes of spiritual combat all this implies but it brings its reward also it endows us with a marvellous facility in spiritual things it opens and smooths the paths of prayer it sheds a clear still light over our self-knowledge it adds a peculiar delight to the exercise of faith it enables us to find god easily it is a fountain of joy in our souls which rarely intermits its flowing and then only for a little while and for a greater good above all things the practice of kind thoughts is our main help to that complete government of the tongue which we all so much covet and without which the apostle says that our religion is vain the interior beauty of a soul through habitual kindliness of thought is greater than our words can tell to such a man life is a perpetual bright evening with all things calm and fragrant and restful the dust of life is laid and its fever cools all sounds are softer as in the way of evening and all sights are fairer and the golden light makes our enjoyment of earth a happy pensive preparation for heaven End of chapter two